Today is Thursday, April 21st here in 2020, and this is, or 22, there we go. This is Celtics Speed here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Today's show brought to you in part by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use that promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, for a 50% sign-up bonus. Well, folks, I gotta be honest with you. I did not think we would be here right now on this Thursday. Boston Celtics take game two. They were down 17. They were down 10 points at halftime. Come all the way back against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Win that game 114 to 107. Boston heads to Brooklyn firmly in the driver's seat of this opening round matchup. Evan Valenti here. Adam Kaufman off for this week. We'll get into that in a second, but want to welcome on for the first time, the friend of mine, my guy, Brian Barrett, W-E-E-I, Barrett. We go all the way back, what, I think we said, what, 2008, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there in Syracuse and W-A-E-R, I think, right? Yeah, it's been a long time, Valente. At least now we're talking about a better basketball team, you know, a team that's got a chance to win an NBA championship. Although when we were at Syracuse, they had some decent teams, but nothing like this, I'll say that. Well, I was, I, I was going to say this till later, but we can do this now just real quick, right off the cuff. Spayheim done. Spayheim's done, right? He's done. Like done, donezo. Like we got to get him out of there. Well, it looks like he's going to outlast Jay Wright. How about that? Jay Wright's retiring. Bayheim's still there. But I mean, I'm with you, man. It's like a family affair at this particular point in time. It feels like, and I don't know, maybe this is just a coincidence, but ever since Mike Hopkins left for the Washington job, and I know he hasn't had a ton of success there, but ever since he left, the recruiting has just gone down the tube. Awful. I mean, they can't, and the guys they get, they can't even keep. It's just, just What's, annoying. When's the last time they had a McDonald's All-American? They used to get him every year. When I was there, they always had him, whether it be Johnny Flynn, all these guys that were coming in, Dion Waiters, although I guess technically Dion didn't make the team. He was snubbed. He was really mad about that, but they always had All-Americans. Yeah, Michael Carter-Williams. Dion, Dion was a Jordan brand guy, though, I think. I think he made that team, but he didn't make the All-American. He did not make the McDonald's. I feel like it's either MCW I think it's MCW. Like, I, it's got to be the last guy. I, I, Christmas. What's up? Rakeem Christmas was McDonald's. <laughs> Jimmy Fallon's favorite basketball player, Rakeem Christmas. Although he was good, though. But anyway, we got we got to get off the this, this Syracuse stuff because nobody's here for that. We were talking about the Celtics, and I asked Brian. Brian, you can follow him on Twitter. It's Brian Barrett, okay? That's his Twitter handle. And the one thing about Barrett that I really like, and it's the thing that Sean Grandy does – but instead of doing it like three o'clock in the morning, Barrett does it when people are actually awake and can read this stuff. And Barrett gives out all these great stats, a lot of great baseball stuff recently, obviously with the Sox coming to play, but he's been killing really fun stats all season long. And so I, before we got into the podcast, I said, Barrett, do me a favor, pick up your favorite, pick up your favorite stat right now in this series, lay it on me. What's your favorite stat so far? All right, so there's so many good ones to pick from. I mean, this is very difficult for me to do as somebody that likes the numbers, okay, Evan? So you're putting me in a difficult spot here, but I got one for you. And I feel like this plays to the masses. This plays to Celtics fans. So we know that Kyrie had an outstanding game one. Nobody's going to dispute that. Although I do contend that the fans were in his head at the end because he dribbled the air out of the ball, and then he threw threw that hut bag to Durant. Durant just had to hoist it up. He threw up a brick, and then, of course, the Celtics go on. We all know what happened after that. But Kyrie has 39 in that game. Last night, he pulls the Houdini act in the fourth quarter. I don't know where the hell he went. I I don't know if he was playing. I don't know what was going on there. But he had 10 points in that game. So he has 49 points so far in the series. Pretty easy math. 
Well, the Celtics, when when Kyrie, I almost said Kyrie because a host I used to work with used to call him Kyrie. Might but when Kyrie, <laughs> when Kyrie was def- as the primary defender last night uh, in the series, the Celtics have now scored 49 points on Kyrie. So he scored 49. The Celtics have scored 49 on him. And there has been an effort. And I feel like Ime Doka has obviously instilled this with these guys. They're not just attacking Kyrie. They are hunting Kyrie. Jalen in particular had nine points against him last night and seven points against him in round one and in game one. And obviously he's not the main defender, Jalen Brown. Why would you ever do that? So I just love the fact that they're hunting that guy and they're exposing him for what he is on the defensive side of the floor, which is a bad player on that side. He's a DH. He plays one way. Yeah. And it's like, we, you know, I, I, somebody tweeted this out and I can, I apologize for not calling out that person correctly. If you know, you know who you are, but I saw it earlier and I thought it was a really great way to put it. Boston had been at the other end of the small point guard matchup for years. You know, Kyrie, Isaiah Thomas, you know, Kemba Walker. It's like, can, we, can they get some, a point guard with some size so we get exposed to them? I mean, I, you go back to that Bulls series years ago where they had to play a two, three zone because Isaiah Thomas was getting absolutely roasted in pick and roll coverage. So they put Isaiah at the bottom of the two, three zone in the weak side corner to say, you know what? Stay over there and just don't let anybody get by it. Like, all right, just, just hang on over there. We'll play, we'll play four on five with you in the corner and we'll figure it out. Somehow, somehow still won that series. I don't, I, to me, it's remarkable, but it's, it's nice to be on the other end of that where, Boston, you know, look, and the way that they're playing right now, I love the way they're playing right now. And this is, I, I was going to get this maybe a little bit later. Maybe I'll do it now. The way that this team hunts mismatches, but also shares the ball simultaneously is really fun to watch. And we talked about, you know, credit to Ime throughout the season, the rest of the coaching staff and the guys from buying in. But what they're doing is they're finding mismatches and taking advantage of things when they need to take advantage of them and picking on Kyrie Irving is a great way to get easy points. I mean, you look at the other night, of course, Kyrie's caught napping at the end of the game. Tatum gets a layup at the rim. Game over. You go back to last night's game, or I should say Wednesday night's game, depending on when you listen to this. You know, Tatum had a point where he had Kyrie on him late. In the, I believe it's either late in third, late in the fourth. I think it's late in the fourth, where Tatum gets Kyrie in a switch, backs it down a little bit, spins towards the middle of the floor, has to kind of put up like an awkward, like, floater with the left hand. But because Kyrie does like three-fourths of the effort but doesn't quite challenge the shot, just keeps his hands down, Tatum, by jumping up in the air, gets a really solid look at the rim. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is easy for me. I'm six foot eight and I'm an all-star. Bang. Easy points. They can hunt him whenever they want. And and what was funny was game one, Kyrie was hunting Peyton Pritchard, and, and Ime made a quick, okay, we're not playing Peyton Pritchard the rest of the way when Kyrie's on the floor. Made a quick adjustment there. I'm not quite sure what Steve Nash does because – as we pointed out in game one and not, of course, not game two, but they desperately need Kyrie Irving's offense to beat the Celtics right now, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's interesting too. Like what adjustments could Steve Nash possibly make to think about Ime Doka is he has a lot of different things that he can go to and things that he can try out. But with Nash, I just don't know how many options he really has. I felt like he played one card last night, which worked. I mean, Bruce Brown at times did frustrate it. Tatum. Tatum did not score on Bruce Brown. I felt like that was a nice adjustment from Steve Nash. But then during the game, he really doesn't do anything. Like, I don't know what the hell he's looking at. How many times or is he ever going to get Kevin Durant open with some sort of an advantage? Like anything, like an Iverson cut where he cuts across the elbows, gets the ball and move. Because clearly taking on Jason Tatum head on 
It doesn't work. It's not going to work for him in the series. He's two for 13 in the series. He was 0 for 7 last night. He's turning the ball over left and right when Jason Tatum's covering him. So Steve Nash, and I don't know why I'm mad about Steve Nash, but he's not helping Kevin Durant whatsoever. So keep doing that if you're a Steve Nash. But I think the biggest thing that I took away from what was going on in this series is right off the jump last night. Kevin Durant is off Tatum. He is now covering Al Horford. He's hanging out with the big man, Al, because they realized, oh, man, Tatum has now developed into this guy that is not just an elite scorer. He's clearly been a much better playmaker in the second half of the season. And so now he's leading the dance. He's running the show. And Durant's going to cover him on that side. It's just taking so much energy out of Durant that they had to make that switch and put Bruce Brown on Jason Tatum. And Tatum on the other side, no, he's still covering Kevin Durant, which I love to see where, like, Jason Tatum wants him. He wants this matchup. And I give Kevin Durant credit for this because on Draymond's podcast, Jason Tatum said, hey, when we were playing for Team USA this summer, they had a game against the select team, and Tatum kicked the ball to Durant in the corner, and Durant got mad at him. He said, I need you to be a killer. Tatum said to Draymond Green, I realized at that moment, like, oh, I'm not there yet, but I can get to that level. So I think he deserves credit for Jason Tatum emerging into the superstar player a little bit in a weird way. So thank you, Kevin Durant, for helping up Jason Tatum destroy you so far in the series. And then secondarily, the playmaking I referenced with Ime Adoka, January 21st, I'll never forget it, that ugly game. I know you remember it, Valenti. They were playing the Portland Trailblazers. No Dame. Yeah, I remember this. No, CJ. This is before CJ got traded. Tatum couldn't throw the ball in the damn ocean. Ime Doka says after the game, what are you doing when your shot's not falling? And after that, he went on a streak where he was over five assists for like two months. Prior to that, he was under four assists per game. So I do feel like the coaching of Ime Doka, Durant's sort of assist to Jason Tatum in a weird way. It just, he's at a totally different level now where you can make a real compelling argument that he's one of the five best players in the sport. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder on the on the, my favorite stat there. I, as I had one ready for you, the best stat for me it's just Tatum as Katie's primary defender. Eight points so far this series on two of thirteen shooting, zero from three in three point range, no assists, seven turnovers. Have some. That's unbelievable. I mean, look, and you and look, you and I, and all this people listening to this podcast. This is not going to matter because we, most of us watch either either every game or almost every game you know you miss a couple maybe here and there it's an 82 game season look I get it not going to watch all of them but we watch most of them and for anybody that's paid attention especially here in 2022 knows that Tame has been what top seven top nine I mean he's going to make first team all NBA so he's in, in the single like top whatever player in the NBA you talk to you know, listen to uh you know Zach Lowe and and uh Tim Bontemps at a pod this week and they talked about like where is like Tatum in the hierarchy of the superstars league. Because Tatum's a superstar, no matter what Nick – and I, look, I love Nick Wright. Uh, you know, as Syracuse guys, we, we, you know, we cape for Nick because he's a Syracuse guy. Um, but Nick, like, keeping Tatum out of the superstar threshold, I think at this point, um, is ridiculous. Because what he's doing to what is the, the best scoring forward maybe of all time, um, the best score period since, you know, Jordan maybe. I mean, a really, really elite list. What Tatum is doing, and it's not just Tatum, it is a collection of guys. As Durant said in the post game after game two, like they're sending two, three guys at me when I'm off the ball, never mind when he's on the ball. But for what Tatum is doing right now in this series at his age, like, yeah, this is what superstars do. This is what it looks like 
as they take the leap. And I know we'll, we'll get more into Tatum in the game. We'll get a bunch of that stuff. But the fact that Boston has taken arguably the best scorer in basketball and not, and it's not just he's like, cause going into the series, you think, yeah, Durant's gonna be the best player in the series. Tatum will be the second best player in the series. It's how the chips fall after that. Durant hasn't been not only the best player, he hasn't been the second best player. He hasn't been the third best player. He hasn't been the fourth best player. He hasn't been the fifth best player. Durant hasn't punched as a top five player in the series yet. And a big part of that is because of what Tatum's doing to him on the defensive end. It is amazing to watch Barrett. Yeah, I was wondering how far you were going to go. Oh, my God, he's at five. He's at six. No, I mean, you had a certain point, like Durant, like even just being out there with the gravity that Durant has, he can't be lower than five, I don't think. Yeah, and I think part of it is it's predatorial, right? I mean, you look at these guys, and really, I give Ime Adoka and Brad Stevens deserves a lot of credit for this, right? Because you mentioned the fact that, the, or we talked about earlier, the fact that they're hunting Kyrie Irving. Well, unless Daniel Tice is on the court, and Peyton Pritchard to a lesser extent, but Ime Adoka is basically taking Pritchard off the court when Kyrie comes back on, except last night in the fourth quarter at work. I mean, they busted out this lineup that they haven't used all season. They used this lineup that they hadn't used all season. They used it for five minutes the entire season. It was the Al Grant, Pritchard, and Jalen and Jason, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And it worked last night. They went on a 12-2 run with those guys. But ordinarily, he's been good keeping Pritchard away from Kyrie because usually you're not, it, a small defender is not going to bother Kyrie because he can just get to his shots. So you need a bigger body on him naturally. And Smart's got, what, a six-foot-10 wingspan, so obviously he can handle it. But with the Celtics, this is what I love about this team so much. This is why after they beat the Memphis Grizzlies, that game where Jalen didn't play, and there was like this debate going on, like who's a better player, Jason Tatum or John Moran? I'm like, you kidding me? I mean, have you seen John Moran shoot from the perimeter? Like, I, I don't know. And most people, like a lot of people here were thinking that it was John Moran. But anyway, my overwhelming point as I digress is just the fact that the Celtics have basically built a team. And when Robert Williams is back, this won't even be a question that without the except without Tice, there is nobody that you can pick on on this team defensively. Right. So it's like, all right, Durant's going for a switch. Okay, here comes Jalen. Okay, he's going for a switch. Here comes Marcus Smart. And Al Horford has been absolutely tremendous. Al Horford. And this is part of the reason that the Celtics defense, Marcus Smart, we know defensive player of the year. Robert Williams should have should have got way more votes. And he had eight points. I mean, are you kidding me? The guy's one of the best shot blockers in the league. But. The overwhelming point is just the fact that they have so many guys that you can't attack whatsoever. Horford defended more isolation possessions than anybody in the league this year. Al Horford, 35-year-old Al Horford. That's why this team is so good defensively is the switchability. And it seems like, and Durant mentioned, it's an easy system to play, which it is. You don't have to think that much. But only so many teams can do it. You have to have so many good defensive players. And that's why I felt like, and I know he's been not great in this series at all. I mean, that's putting it lightly, but... That's why I felt like the Derek White pickup made so much sense because he fits in perfectly to the scheme in terms of what they want to do defensively. And that's why I think the Nets, they're going to have real difficulty scoring on this team in the second half of games. We've seen it in the first half. They started to go off last night, but then they start to wear down. And then the Celtics get to them on the other side. Yeah, you look at last night's game, you know, Boston gets down early. They're turning the ball over a ton. Um, they're just not communicating on either end that well. They're getting burnt defensively in certain aspects. They're getting killed on the glass. I mean, absolutely roasted on the glass. But yet, like, they're down 17, not feeling great at all. Because, you know, Kevin, like Kevin Durant, they're down – the season around 17, and Durant hasn't really even hit a shot yet. Like, it's been Bruce Brown and Goran Dragic. Like, what the, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? But they made a push. Enough with Dragic, by the way. I, Dragic. I'm, having flashbacks. I'm having flashbacks to the bubble. Like, enough of that guy. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm talking to some of my friends. It's like, it's like, uh, wow, Dragic is really killing you guys. I'm like, for those of you that don't understand, like, this is part of the course for the Celtics. Like, this guy, I don't know what it is. Like, there are certain, it's like Chris Middleton's the same thing. It's like, I, it just sees the jersey and like all of a sudden he's Michael Jordan against, against, you know, any, like the, you know, the, the monsters basically. It's like ridiculous. I don't understand <laughs> it. What, like, Gordon Dragic coming off like COVID's just like going to be a stone cold assassin makes all the sense in the world because the way he's done, he's done this for against Boston for years. But like, you know, you have a, a ridiculous, like, what, 9-0 run, 11-0 run from Bruce Brown to start the game. Like, it, it, so Nets are up 17. They get the 10. But I was, it was funny to listen to the discourse at halftime, like, because I, I was watching the local broadcast um, for the game, but I did tune into the TNT halftime guys just to see what they were talking about. And Chuck was like, you know, if you're the Nets, this should be a 20-point game right now, and it's 10. And you got to be really afraid of what's coming next because the Boston's really starting to figure it out. And he could have been more right on. Boston rolled away at it, chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And when they finally took the lead, the the building I thought was going to explode. And at that point, and you've you've seen a bunch of basketball there. It's not like when when a team that's been battling all game finally takes their first lead late in the game. Unless you have a response immediately of like a 10 0 run, it's almost like the game's over because no, most of the time, again, I don't have the stat in front of me. So don't, don't throw a stat at me like, Oh, actually, whatever. No, no. It just feels like a lot of times the momentum is such a different shift. Like how many times did we see it in the regular season? Boston have all these ginormous leads. Like the, the game early against Chicago, I think is probably my favorite example of this where. Boston was up, I forget, like 20-plus in that game early on in the season in Chicago. Oh, but yeah, as soon as Chicago took the lead, you were like, wow, this game's over. There's no way this team comes back from this. I felt very similar to that during the – like as much as it feels sacrilege to say, like, yeah, I felt super confident against Durant and Kyrie that they were going – but I did. Boston was just playing the right way, and meanwhile, on the other end, they were making it very difficult for Durant to do anything. Durant had his worst half in his career last night, Barrett. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I totally agree with what Charles Barkley said. I didn't hear him say that, but I was looking at it at halftime and the Nets were shooting 61%. I actually tweeted at the time. I'm like, wait, the Nets are shooting 61%. They're only up by 10. This doesn't make sense whatsoever. It comes back to the whole idea of their defense is just so pathetic. And what I love about the Celtics team right now is it feels like you've got to knock them out, right? So they had their opportunity, the Nets did, in the first half of that game, in particular in the first quarter. They could have delivered the knockout blow. And the Celtics just kept coming back. They kept taking all the haymakers. Like, that's what the Nets threw. They did it in the fourth quarter of game one, too. I mean, Kyrie coming out of the gates in that fourth quarter. That's the guy was absolutely smart. Was like, I couldn't even, of course it went in, but I was like, that's, a, that's what, like, that's a shot you make when you're supposed to win the game. It's like this ridiculous step back three with the defensive player of the year in your face. Yeah. And I just feel like, so if you don't knock them out, if you don't connect on those haymakers, then you're in massive trouble because the Celtics have shown this. I mean, it's crazy talking about that Bulls game, this incredible amount of resilience so far in this series. And I do think part of it is the fact that they said, hey, we want them, right? I mean, they did. They did. And look, I was, I'll admit it. I was like, you know what? I'll take the easier path. I'll take the baby dinosaurs in the first game, even though we didn't know everything about the vaccine situation. You went to two at home. Even if you come back with a 3-1 lead, you ended in five. Like, I'm like, all right, that, that seems like an easier path. And Giannis and Kevin Durant can deal with each other. But now I think like, they needed this, right? Tatum and Brown and this group together, Marcus Smart, et cetera. Like they needed this sort of like 
almost like a badge of honor. And Ime Doka is the one that instilled this on the team from the beginning. Remember, he's the one that told Jason Tatum, stop treating these guys like they're your older brothers, referring to guys like Durant around the league, like you're on this level. So I do feel like that bravado and really like it's a healthy arrogance that they have now. I mean, Marcus Smart's walking in there last night with the defensive player of the year thing. Jalen Brown's getting in Durant's face. Tatum will talk smack to him. Al Horford is chirping Durant last night. So I do think there is, and Grant, I mean, Grant, that guy talks so much smack. I like, amazing role player. And this this is another thing about confidence with Grant Williams, right? He's one of the best corner three-point shooters in the league until the beginning of March, where he's over 50%. Well, from like March until game one, through game one, the guy was shooting like 34% of corner threes. Last night, the guy has like the perfect basketball game. He doesn't miss a three. He doesn't miss a goal. He doesn't miss a free throw. His like effective field goal percentage, which accounts for threes, is like 137%. It's like incredible. So I do feel like that confidence, I give Ime Adoka credit for that in totality. He's the one that instilled that in the team. And that's why they're not going to just lay down. Like other teams would have laid down with the way it went last night. The Celtics are not going to lay down. They continue to fight back. I love it. Yeah, and they're showing a lot of toughness. And like the thing with me, it starts with the top guys. And you look at the top guys. Tatum and I look at Brown like Brown we've gotten to hear a little bit out of in terms of like he was mic'd up for a little bit some of the stuff he's been saying in the huddles and stuff like that playing through the like the bloody nose through game one you know a lot of people making the big deal of like Kyrie's fasting well so so is Jalen Brown by the way just to throw that out there Jalen Brown also Muslim uh, also fasting during the game so it's not like you know Kyrie's the only guy doing that but Jalen you know and and Jason gets a ton of attention as he should but like Jalen you know what I like about Jalen so far this series, and especially like game, the end of game one and, and, and game two, like things haven't always gone his way on either end of the floor. Like sometimes he gets a little tired and he dribbles the ball off his leg and his little, he does the over dribbling thing. But Jalen is just doing an insane job of finishing through contact right now. And he's been doing it for the past couple of months. He's been paying attention, but he's just making tough shots. He's on the floor. He's everywhere defensively. He's pushing the ball in transition when it looks like some guys don't want to run. He's getting to the basket. He's getting to the free throw line. His toughness through two games, and especially, I, I think, in game one, I think it's been super, not surprising, but super, it makes me more confident, right? Because you look at, you know, Durant's the best player in the series. You know, uh, uh, Tatum's number two. You know, where is Brown? Can Brown be three or is Brown four? Or is, you know, is somebody else going to be those three, four and Brown is five? Like, Everybody was like, oh, you know, we all know what they have with Jason Tatum, but, like, what do they have after Jason? And I keep saying, like, has anybody watched Jalen Brown this year? I mean, Jalen has been, you know, in and out of the lineup with certain things, but when he's been healthy, he's been scoring 25 points a game. Like, these two guys at the beginning of the season were the highest-scoring duo in the league. What has happened since then is they've added a little more playmaking to their games and not scoring as much. But, like, when they need to take over games, Jalen's right there, too. And, yeah, it might not be the prettiest thing to start out, but Jalen in fourth quarters has been unbelievable. And last night, I think, was the heart and soul of, of the win last night. And I, you, know, you give the Tatum all you want. But he hit the biggest shots when the game got really close. And then when it tied, and then when they took the lead and ballooned it, that was all Jalen Brown to me, I think. Yeah, just imagine if Tatum and Brown could actually play together. Like, if you didn't have to split them up, I mean, it would <laughs> Yeah, I've, been like, fighting uh, that. I've been fighting that for years. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's, it was such a dumb take. It was incredibly dumb. But um, just getting back to your point about Jalen, I do feel like ever since they went on that West Coast road trip, when they went out to Golden State, it felt like he got his shot back. Because 
I would contend, like, right when he came back from that injury, struggling shooting the ball a little bit, and then he looked like the Jalen that we saw for the majority of the season. And I totally agree with your point about him being the aggressor. So, like, if you look at it, he is getting downhill because they know the Nets don't have anybody to keep in front of Jalen. I feel like part of the reason they took Bruce Brown off Jalen is because that's a bad matchup for Bruce Brown. Jalen Brown's just too explosive. In a weird way, he's better equipped to cover Tatum because Tatum is bothered by guys that can sort of get underneath him. But Jalen is just putting pressure on the basket. He's averaging 15 points per game in the paint in this series. He has put a ton of pressure on the basket. And the most impressive thing to me about this is he did that in the fourth quarter, as you mentioned, where most guys are starting to fatigue. Most guys are starting to get tired. And he was just putting constant pressure on the rim in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, for for me, Jalen is going to always be the, the not the ultimate X factor, but like the guy. If this team's able to make it work, it's going to be because Jalen Brown is ascended into something else. And I mean, obviously, when they get Rob back, life becomes a little bit easier. But like, I, I just, I, I, as we go through like you know, giving out awards, giving out flowers, and all that stuff in terms of game two, like I just feel like I, I'm not like the, the the discourse today is weird because it's more about killing the Nets and specifically Kyrie and KD for not being good and not giving enough credit to like what Boston is doing on both ends of the floor and getting lost in all this stuff is like pretty amazing games by Jalen Brown and Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams and Al Horford. Like I, I, it drives me nuts. Cause like there's two teams on the floor. Like, yes. Did the Nets not play well? Absolutely. But a big reason for that is Boston is just nails defensively. I'll tweet this literally every game if I have to. The Boston Celtics, and again, I understand it's not like a perfect comparison, but just for stats, for stats sake, the Boston Celtics held their opponents in the regular season to 42% from the field. You want who did that? The 4 Pistons did that. Same thing, but I find it slightly more impressive because the pace is much higher and there are more three-pointers taken today, which could you know skew it a little bit, I guess, in this looks favorite because it's a harder shot. But at the same time, like, Hold your opponent to 42% shooting for the entire season is pretty impressive. And then lost in that on the other side, offensively, like Boston moves the ball extremely well. The ball movement is what's killing the Nets. And whether it's, you know, the second half of last night, and again, Chuck alluded to it going into halftime. He was like, look, the Boston has started to figure some stuff out. And if the Nets aren't careful, they're going to lose this game. And Boston saw that and just like, yeah, we're just going to move the basketball a little bit more than we are, play a little less ISO, and we're going to kill these guys. And wide open shot after wide open shot, wide open shot. I, I just I want to make sure that we give enough credit to certain guys. Like Jalen gets gets enough credit for me. I think Grant Williams, as you mentioned, the 134 true shooting percentage is outrageous. Pritchard for what do you have? Four minutes in game one comes out in game two yeah. and it's like four huge shots in the fourth quarter. He crossed up Kyrie. It was unbelievable. Like, and, and this is what it takes, though. My point is this. You can have all the talent in the world, and the Nets have two of the best isolation scorers in the history of basketball. It doesn't matter. It's still a team game, and you still need all five guys to work together. And when you look at this after two games, and I think, again, last night, look at the second half as a very easy way to look at this. One team's playing with five guys. The other team's playing with two and a half. And five guys beats two and a half every time in my book there, right? Am Am I crazy on that? No, you're right. I do think, too, like, they have beat the Nets at their own game in the sense that, like, 
they love, as you mentioned, the isolation situations. They've had 32 possessions in ISO in this series, and they're shooting 28%. They have 25 points. This is the best isolation team in the league with Kevin Durant and with Kyrie Irving, and they can't get anything done whatsoever. And I do think, like, one of the things that worried me coming into this series was the Celtics are such an analytical team defensively. Like, they force you to take horrible shots. They want you to take a ton of mid-range shots. They don't want you to get into the restricted area. Like, they give up the second fewest shots in the restricted area and they forced the second most in the mid-range and I'm thinking well hold on they got mid-range assassins right Kevin Durant and Kyrie and I was a little bit worried about that entering the series last night they're 828 from the mid-range and during this that's 28.6% during the season they're over 47 which is like 3% better than any other team Durant was two for 12 so this worry that I had entering the series is these guys were so good at it and I shouldn't have done this I almost underestimated how much of the pressure that the Celtics can bring to you defensively would bother Kevin Durant, would bother Kyrie Irving, and in particular Durant. I mean, you think about some of these shots that Durant's getting, these pull-ups, where Jason Tatum does this amazing thing. Like, even if he gets picked off, he'll, like, contest his shot from the side. Like, it's, it's I mean, this is stuff that you see from guys that are, like, eight, nine years into their career. So the Nets are actually, like, they're taking shots that they ordinarily take. The problem is they're not used to them being contested that the way that they're ordinarily contested. So they're living in the same areas they've always lived in. They don't really have an offensive system. Hey, give the ball to Durant, give the ball to Kyrie Irving. That's it. I mean, the Celtics have a system, the ball's flying around, but if you continue to play this way, this isolation style against the Celtics, you're screwed. And I give the Celtics quit. They force you into that because of that switching style. The only time they don't do it is if Daniel Tice is on the court. He's the one guy that they will not switch all the time. They're mixing up the coverages. I give them credit for being able to do some of that. But, I mean, imagine if they had Rob, Robert Williams for the series. I, this would be a bloodbath. Yeah. Bloodbath. I, I want to piggyback on that point. I was, I was Before you and I hopped in this Zoom, I, I read an article. Zach Cram had it on the ringer. And it was basically – and again, go read it for yourself. I'm not going to just quote it all day. But the, 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 the crux of the, the piece was Boston is getting some of the easiest looks you could possibly ask for, and they're making the Nets take the hardest shots you could possibly take. And when you can do that as a team, you're going to win a basketball game. It's just as easy as that. Quick break from this show to tell you today's show. It's brought to you in part by betonline.ag, your number one source for all your betting needs in sports info and odds. Find all the latest sports developments, including this week's odds for Major League Baseball season. The NFL draft is coming up. They have props on that, of course. Uh, what the Pats do at 21, couldn't tell you right now. I don't think anybody knows except for maybe Bill Belichick and Matt Groh, but uh, couldn't tell you. I'm, I'm, you know, my gut tells me an offensive lineman, but I, you know, we don't know with Belichick half the time. Uh, you can find all that stuff, including NBA title odds. And look, we started this, and I believe the C's were when we started the playoffs. Now, Barrett, humor me for just a second. I think. I can take a look here and go back to my past reads and I will find the odds that Boston had for the title when the playoffs started. The Celtics on bet online were plus 725 to win the title and they were hovering on the top four in odds. The Suns were at plus 275, Bucks plus 575, Nets plus 700, C's up seven, uh, plus 725. I look at them today. At 4.22 in the afternoon on April 21st. And the C's have jumped from plus 7.25 to the second best odds on bet online right now at 4.75. Only the Warriors have a better, uh, have better odds right now to win the NBA title at plus 2.75. So 
America's coming around. We're, the Boston's quickly becoming America's team here. Plus uh, 475 right now at betonline.ag. Your continued source of all your sporting wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join the day and learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Use that promo code CLNS50. You get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Evan Valenti, Brian Barrett from WEI. Talking C's Nets. C's up two to nothing. 114-107 winning game two yesterday, or last night, I should say, Wednesday night. A lot of heroes in that game. We talked about Cannon and Brown. Their bench has played, I think, in spots really well. In certain cases, not so well. I mean, game one, you look at it's basically – you know, Jason Tatum doing everything and guys kind of coming up and filling in. Tatum, for most of the game, Brown towards the end of the game was great. Smart was outraged in that game. But I want to talk about what I think has been maybe quietly like the surprising storyline of this particular series. And that's just how unbelievable Al Horford is playing. I cannot, I, I can be honest with you. Like, I traded for Al. I loved it because I like the continuity. I love what Al brought to the team when he was on the team years ago. I'm very well aware of his age and what that body can do at that age. It's not like, you know, some certain guys break down easier than others, but what Al is doing, he was what plus 11 last night. That was, that was tied with Tatum for second high on the team. And I forget what he was in game one plus whatever, but what Al Horford has done in two games against this team is remarkable. On one end, he's playing great defense. He's moving the ball. Um, he's taking advantage of either being left in the corner for three point range or getting a got smaller guy switched on him. Are you surprised, Barrett, at how effective 35-year-old Al Orford has been in this series? I mean, I thought he would have a good series because he's been good all season. And I thank Oklahoma City for, like, putting him on ice at the end of the season because clearly he is right. well-rested right. and he is surprised. So thank you very much, Sam Presti, for that. But to this degree, I can't say I'm not surprised. I mean, the guy's been absolutely ridiculous. And I do feel like when this move was made, I loved it at the time, too. I agree with you. And – I agree. I loved it for a different reason at first. I'm like, well, it's just like, I like Kemba as a guy and all that. Like, I love you personally, but it just was never going to work. And the guy, I didn't like the signing from the beginning just because he had already had three procedures on that knee, small diminutive point guard. We talked about that earlier today, but nonetheless, I felt like, okay, well, now you are signaling it's Tatum and Brown's team, right? That was the big thing. And then I felt like, well, Elsa always been a great ball mover, big body, We know that he can shoot. And for the majority of the season, he wasn't shooting well. Then really at the start of March, he started shooting well. This series, he's five of eight from three-point territory. But without Al, this defensive scheme doesn't work. And if you look at it in this series, I mean, they have really been not good at all when Al goes to the bench. If you look at his on-off differential per 100, 74 minutes he's played. The Celtics are plus 14.2 per 100. 22 minutes off the court, they're negative 29.7. That's right. So that's... The differential is a plus 43.9. He's covering ISOs. He's hitting shots. And I loved what Ime Adoka did there. And when they went on that run, when Al was on the court with that group with Grant and Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Peyton Pritchard, is since Al can hit threes, he put Al in the corner. And that keeps Kevin Durant out of the lane. So Kevin Durant's basically not involved in the possession whatsoever. It opens everything up for Pritchard with Tatum, with Brown. It's a wide open court. So I feel like the increased volume that Al's been willing to take in terms of the threes and the defense. It's amazing. I mean, Tatum, Brown, Al, I mean, you could argue that Al has been one of the top two players in this series. I mean, based on the contribution, I mean, the where are you in the first half without Al in game one? I mean, the guy was tremendous. 
Yeah, 20 points, 15 rebounds in game one. Uh, again, I agree with you. If, if he's not playing the well as well as he did in game one, they probably don't win that game. And I think there's just like a steadying presence with him on the floor. Like, as much as I love Daniel Tice, and the, I, I was, again, when people were talking about that trade and, you know, giving the Celtics, you know, a bunch of flack for taking on future money. And I'm like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, we're, we're killing the Celtics taking on a, a seven, like, or a $10 million future contract for a guy, again, with continuity who's been in the system. They know him. They know what he's good at. They know what he's bad at. They know what he can do. Um, I, I love Tice. But, like, when when Al's not on the floor, I, I get a little nervous because you have Grant Williams, inexperienced, and you have Daniel Tice, who's a little older, but, yeah, inexperienced with NBA playoff basketball. Al's the only big they have that has that steadying presence of a bet that can that can be like, all right, guys, like, we need to, you know, calm down. Again, you can see Al sometimes, like, saying it, too. Like, we got to calm down. we got to take it easy. Uh, we got to get into our sets. We have to move the ball around and do all this stuff. You know, and having it come from him, he's – by far the oldest guy on the team. I mean, you look at Smart's been on the team the longest, but he's still in his 20s. Uh, Your two superstars are 25 and 24. Al's the only guy with any real, uh, like, uh, I mean, they've all had experience in the playoffs, but, like, just real legitimate. He's the only guy that's a real vet on the team. So having him there is huge. And I'm starting to get a little nervous, though, about how many minutes he's playing. Because it's like at some point I'm expecting the, tr- the the wheels to fall off the bus here and for Al to just, like, crumble. But what they've been able to do with him, keeping him fresh the whole year, it's all paying off huge right now. Because I would make the argument, and I, I don't think you would fight me against this, he's been the second-best player on either side in the series. And the only guy that's playing better than him is Tatum because Tatum had the outrageous game one. But Al has been, to me, the second-best player and I think going forward, as that once they get Rob back, they'll be able to ease him up a little bit um, as Rob gets a little bit healthier. And I, I think as they move forward, you know, as we look at game three, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Like there's going to be still some pressure on him just to make sure that the big rotation stays somewhat in flux. Like he got in foul trouble last night and that got me a little nervous. And by the time he fouled out, I was feeling okay. But like if he fouls out or has foul trouble, like they're in a little bit of trouble Maybe not against the Nets because the Nets don't have the size. Like Drummond is fine, and Claxton is you know a nice guy, I guess. But like, there's nobody that strikes fear into you down there. But when Al's not playing, like they they're a little bit more exposed, right? Yeah. How about that free thing took last night? It was like three feet short. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I almost felt bad for the guy. I would have hacked him the rest of the way. It's and like, that's Shoot the rest of the game, bro. That's, there's no chance that you got two free throws. Like, if the Nets ever get hot in the fourth quarter again and Claxton's on the floor, I mean, just wrap that guy up. Yeah, but I'm with you on the minutes thing, and I do feel like it's not just Al. And it felt like Ime Adoka paid attention to that a little bit more last night because one of the things he did is Tatum played around 40 minutes. In the first game, he played 45. And when I looked at that game one, I felt like in the fourth quarter, obviously he had the great shot, the great spinning move late that, of course, was fed by Smart. But Tatum was sort of gassed in that fourth quarter. I mean, that was his first bucket. So I do think that he made Doka, and he rode those guys a lot down the stretch of the season. I do think he's a little more cautious about the minutes. The good thing for the big man rotation is you're going to get Robert Williams back. If it's not in this series, obviously it'll be in the next series. One thing I'm surprised he hasn't tried more of is, and I wonder if this is just, he just likes to be big. He just likes, and he feels like they have that physical advantage is I'm surprised they haven't tried and maybe they will. Grant's at the five a little bit now that he's hitting shots, just because if Grant's at the five, at least you can still switch everything defensively. As long as like Pritchard's not in the court, if it's 
smart and grant with like the majority of the wing size guys, then I feel like you can still switch everything and be honest to your defensive system. And that's why when Tice is on the court without Al, there's really not much protection there. So I would just gamble and try to go a little bit more small ball, although we haven't seen much of it and they're up to nothing. So I can't really criticize much of what Ime Adoka is doing, but I'm wondering if they do try to do that because Tice, it's been a problem defensively. I mean, they have a 120 defensive rating when he's on the floor, 109 when he's off the floor. I just feel like they've done a good job of like trying to mix it up. Like he'll drop, sometimes he'll jump it, try to blitz it. I just feel like that's the one weak guy they have defensively that plays major minutes. And like, I don't, Tice a good player. I'm not saying that. It's just when you get into the playoffs, it's all matches. We've seen the Celtics take advantage of Curry and Kyrie on the defense. And that's the one guy that the Nets are targeting. I mean, they're not targeting anybody else besides him. And with the exception of like Pritchard being on the court, but even last night, I don't know what happened in the fourth quarter. I thought when they kept Pritchard out there, that Kyrie was going to go hunt him and, I don't know where Kyrie was. I mean, apparently he was on the court, but I didn't see him. Yeah, I love uh, – we had a little discussion last night, Poppin and I and a buddy of ours were talking about some of Kyrie's post-game comments. Like uh, the, 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 the common denominator, the common theme was, is Kyrie already checked out? Uh, because uh, some of the stuff he said after the game last night, including uh, his performance in the fourth quarter, I don't want to – I'm not putting any words in his mouth. I'm definitely not trying to start anything, but, like, I'd be a little alarmed if I were a Nets fan. But looking at game three, uh, Saturday night, it's messed up. It's BS that we have to wait again forever for game three here. Although I should be happier about it considering, you know, th- it does help Rob give another day. Um, I just want to watch basketball. Yeah, that's true. And these guys, yeah, again, especially like a guy like Al, we just talked about his minutes. Like, yeah, get him some more rest. It's actually not a bad thing. I'm just selfish, Bear. I want to watch this team play, okay? Um, looking at a game three. Going into Brooklyn, like, I don't know, just probably do the same thing you've been doing. I mean, I just don't really think they have a – I was I, – I found it very interesting. I forget who I was talking – I was listening to – I forget which pod. It might it might have been – it might have been the low post. It might have been Simmons. I forget exactly who the, the – the, but they were talking about how, like, this doesn't feel – like, game one – it was like Rosillo and, and Simmons. Like, game one didn't feel like a game one of an opening round series. It felt like game five of, like, a second round or an Eastern Conference Finals series where – you know the other team really – the teams know each other well. You know what they're good at. They know what they're bad at. There's no, like, huge move coming between these two teams that's going to, like, make the other team readjust, whatever. Like, no, no, all the chips are on the table. Like, we know what, what the Nets are good at, what they're going to try and do. We know what the Nets are going to try and do the Boston on the other end. It's just a matter of execution. And when Boston executes, then I don't I – don't, the Nets can't hang. Like, I'm just I, – I don't mean to, like, discount the Nets. But when Boston executes on both ends of the floor – in the minutes that we've seen so far, Boston is the better team by by a good margin. And so as we look towards game three, I'm expecting more of the same. More ball movement on the offensive end, you know, making guys work, making Katie and Kyrie work on the defensive end to tire them out. Ball movement, cutting, getting layups, been doing all, all game. And again, with Jalen finishing through contact, there's another uh, advantageous position you can be in because of Jalen's, you know, strength. And the defensive end, keep switching, keep guys in front, make life hard for Durant. Like, I don't think there's some big revelation coming here in game three. Maybe game four with Ben Simmons, as we found out, some Sham Sarania is going to – Ben's going to try it out for game four, which I don't think really even matters. But, like, game three, it's just going to be the same stuff, and Boston and the Nets are going to see what happens, I think. I don't think it's going to be any different. I'm so confused by the Simmons thing. Like, when did he hurt his back? I don't understand this. He got an epidural – in his back. Why didn't he have that when he was still like technically a member of the Philadelphia 76ers? Like I'm so confused by this whole situation. I just feel like 
I mean, it's a really tough ask. You're going to put him, his first game of the season is going to be in game four, potentially, of a playoff series. You were guy, by the way. Potentially. Yeah. Like, and you've got to guard Tatum or Brown? Like, I just feel like that's an awful position to put the guy in. Not to mention the fact, do we know if he's going to shoot? Like, the last time we saw Ben Simmons on a basketball court, he refused to dunk. He wouldn't dunk. So it's so weird how, like, they're playing this whole situation and how people are acting like Ben Simmons is, like, you know, the Warriors getting back Steph Curry or something like that. Like, it's this unbelievable force of nature when – the guy was a net negative last year in the postseason. His coach, Doc Rivers, after the game was saying, we don't know if this guy is the point guard long-term. So that whole thing kind of confuses me. But I, I just like them to just keep attacking. I mean, they've outscored the Nets 100-66 to 66 in the paint. Just stay in attack mode. Don't give them any life. Because if they win game three, they get themselves back in the series. And if you beat them in game three, they're going to be – they're not going to give you anything in game four. And really, it's been demoralizing for them – so far, my one concern, although I'm starting to not be as concerned about it as I was entering game two, because now we've seen it twice, is when is the Durant game coming? Like, when is the onslaught of Kevin Durant coming? And the reason I'm not as concerned as I previously was is because even if he has that game, it's going to take so much out of him. I mean, look, think about how hard he doesn't have any easy shots. He's working so hard for all his shots. I just can't see them making this a competitive series because I don't see him doing that four to the next five games. He may have one game where he's outstanding and they still lose from Kyrie. Kyrie was great in game one. They lost. Last night they had 18 from Dragic. What was it? 23 from Bruce Brown. And they lost. So I'm starting to believe more and more in, not that I never thought this team was an elite defensively, but that they have really, really good matchups for Kevin Durant. And this is some of the worst basketball that he's ever played. Yeah, and it almost feels like last year in the, like the last year series and the roles are a little reversed. We're like, maybe Durant goes off for 50 and that's what it takes to beat Boston. And that maybe does it like one time. Because if Durant's going to drop 50 points, that means that Bruce Brown is not going to have 23. That means Goran Dragic is going to have 28 points. Like the way this team is set up defensively, yeah, if Kevin Durant goes off, I'm going to probably guess that nobody else did because he's taking more shots. He's taking opportunities away from other guys. And by the, and Boston's made life so hard for him that like, I feel like a lot of those shots are going to come late in the shot clock. You know, as things are winding down, like Durant's not attacking early because he's going through like what feels like 10 people to get the basketball and we'll see what Nash does. But I just don't think there's like some magical adjustment here. Like, like feel like Nick Nurse would throw out some junk zone defense just to like see what happens. Like that's not happening with this Nets team. They're not throwing out some junk zone, like a box and one to screw Tatum up. Like Tatum's too advanced at this point anyway to even do that. So Unless Boston goes cold, and Boston can go cold from the field. We've seen it. It happened in the first half of game two, and especially in the first quarter. What did Boston shoot? 29% from the field in the first quarter of game two? Like, it was it was hard to watch. And it was like, oh, no. It's one of these games where Boston can't throw it in the ocean. But that's why you rely on great defense. So you can stay in the game. But I just thought – I feel like we're, like, a little too cocky right now. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm a little too confident sitting here being like, yeah, there's no chance. There's nothing that needs that can be done. It's just a matter of like executing. And right now, through two games, like Boston is executed better. But at the same time, like we have a good enough amount of evidence to suggest that Boston is a superior team. 
But let's also point out that the Nets have two really great scores, and they're going to always be in games because they have those two guys. But if Boston continues to do what they do, and we don't have any reason to believe they're not going to do what they've been doing, that this game, this and as Kyle Hurd said yesterday, like if the Nets lose this game, they're going to lose the series, and the, and because ninety three percent of the time, teams that go up uh, two nothing, they win the series. And Boston all time, this is the stats flying around today. Boston. All time is 40 and one after going up to zero and all the LeBron fans being like, well, well, guess what that one is. Relax, please. LeBron fans get a hobby, cook, paint, go outside, go hiking. I don't care what it is. Find yourself a hobby. There's no need to shoehorn LeBron into every conversation, especially when he's not playing, but this team, you know, hasn't traditionally lost when they're up to zero. If they win game three, it is frankly curtains, but it, it might already be Kearns already, Bear. I don't know. I just don't see something huge come, some huge change coming in the game game three. Yeah, and that's why, like, you may, like, look, maybe we are getting a little too cocky, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But I just, like, I don't know what the card is that Steve Nash can play because they may go off offensively. We've seen that multiple times this year. that good spot offensively. But even if they stay in the entirety of the game, which I can actually do against the Celtics, is – on the other end, I just don't see the way that they generate enough stops, right? Because they have been so weak from a defensive perspective that, like, the Celtics were sloppy in the first half, and they were still okay on the offensive end in terms of, like, their numbers, right? And then when you get to the second half is when they really take off, when they cleaned it up and they executed at a higher level. So I just look at it from that perspective, and I don't see them – maybe Simmons works magic in game four, but I don't imagine that would happen. So I just don't see how they're going to be able to generate enough stops. The one thing I would say that – the thing that they haven't tried yet, I'm just wondering if they don't think they can do it because of the pounding Kevin Durant's already taking on the offensive end, is he hasn't really dug into just to can just say, you know what, screw it. I mean, they need to come up with David's strategies at this point, right? I mean, they do. They got to try everything. You mentioned Nick Nurse. Nash is going to do something creative as they haven't tried the Durant at center lineups at all. Maybe they're just scared of the pounding, but Durant with like, I mean, they got a bunch of munchkins, like six foot one guys. <laughs> Like, I don't know who it would be. Like, Durant even mentioned after the game, like, he's like, usually we have, like, two guards out there that are 6'1 or 6'2. So, I mean, I guess that would be the only thing is try to go all offense because I don't see how they get enough stops defensively. Yeah. The Celtics run the ball over left and right, and they they still put up, like, a 130 offensive rating in the second half. Now, the, thing, the thing is, like, they cut James Johnson right before the playoffs, and, like, anybody with a brain – I mean, look, he might not be an offensive player, but at least James Johnson go out there and defend somebody on the wing. Like, at least he would be – at least make it hard for Brown and Tatum, but they don't have anybody on the team that can really do that. Um, so, again, we're – again, I think maybe we're both a little too high on this, but it's just it's just what we've seen. We, what do you want me to do? Um, I do want to wrap up a little quickly here because I do want to get to two things. Number one, I am enjoying how salty some of the national media is over Marcus Smart's Defensive Player of the Year uh, award winner. Like, I, I don't understand why so many people are so upset that Smart won Defensive Player of the Year. I just don't understand. They're like, well, Rudy Gobert is great. And I'm like, I'm not trying to take anything away from Gobert. My point is always we do not value perimeter defense the same way we value rim defense. And I understand why. Because you get block shots at the rim, go bare, deters people from driving in the lane, like whatever, whatever. But he, they also, that team, Utah, is a mess defensively when he's on the floor because of what they're able to do when they get go bare on the perimeter. But, like, we just don't value point of attack defense enough. And what I'm really enjoying 
is watching Smart go out there and just make life really hell for Kyrie Irving. Because it's like, yeah, Kyrie's this otherworldly scorer. But if you look at game two, Smart guarded his ass off and kept Kyrie from really getting any rhythm at all whatsoever. And again, you and I have been watching it. Celtics have been watching it for the whole year. Like, it's not just about like playing one-on-one defense. Like, Smart is an unbelievable off-ball defender, team defender. He's always moving around. He's always shading and like he's always flying into passing lanes and stealing passes that way and getting a hand on this, getting a hand on that. He's always the guy as the ball is like rolling out of bounds or jumping out of bounds off a Celtics player. He's the guy coming from the weak side, like throwing it back into somebody to start a fast break. Like there's so many things he does in the defensive end that people don't value. And I got to tell you, like there are a certain amount of people, and I think it was Tom Haverstrow who had the biggest meltdown of anybody about smart winning defensive player. It's like, look, I understand Rudy Gobert is a great player. He's a good defensive player. Band didn't play enough games. And I think Mikael Bridges has a legit, like, kind of gripe because Mikael played 82 games this season on a really good Suns team. But, like, we need to value perimeter defense and point of attack defense more. And Smart, if he's not the best one, is one of the best ones. And he's on the best defensive team this year. And I think that's a, a, an easy argument to make. I think people are being ridiculous for just just being bitter about the whole thing, Brian. I don't get it. Well, I am kind of surprised, like, how mad people are over it. Like, that was kind of stunning to me. And, look, Abistrow, he listed out a bunch of numbers. The one thing that I disagree with him on is the fact he said he's, like, the fifth best defensive player on the team. I'm like, okay, it, it, we're getting a little crazy. Like, you can definitely make an argument against Smart winning it. Like, certainly you could. But, I mean, that's a tough argument to make, fifth best player on the team. The one thing that irritated me about it, like, from just, like, an ethos perspective, like, I think that the, the big that can – cover multiple positions. Like I think that Draymond Green and Bam are the two best defenders in the league, but you mentioned it, that what got held against them is the game's played. And that's fair. I mean, Draymond played in what, 46 games and Bam 56. So it makes sense that Smart would get the bump there. The one thing that sort of aggravated me, and I don't know if this was more of a Celtics push, like the PR campaign, like every team does it. Like they, they try to hype up their guy. I mean, we've seen it with a bunch of different things, right? In terms of teams hyping up for their MVP, like the Jokic and B thing is out of control. Like teams going after each other with that whole stuff. Like, I mean, Daryl Morey a couple of years ago had like this huge campaign for Harden. So teams go nuts. It's not unique to one team, but what kind of irritated me about this is I would argue that Robert Williams has been the more valuable piece defensively. Smart's great. He's the best, per- don't go nuts. He's the best defender in the NBA. I'm not disputing that whatsoever. And Robert Williams missed time. So I understand why the push should be for smart over Robert Williams. But the thing that kind of irritated me is to see no representation for Robert Williams. What was it? Eight points? He got a first place vote. Hang on a minute. He got a first place vote. Who was that? I don't know. I I don't know who it is. I like that person. I know. If you look at like the on off, like when Robert Williams comes off the court compared to when smart comes off the court, all those like impact metrics, favor Robert Williams and I do feel like and look maybe partially this is because of Ime Adoka he made that adjustment what was it like midway through the season where he said all right Al is going to cover the traditional big Robert Williams is going to cover like the shooter in the corner and he can be like the free safety the rover and just come over on help defense so I actually feel like in just like a per game basis that Robert Williams was the better defensive player but I understand the games played argument I just feel like I felt bad for Robert Williams because I don't feel like his voting total was representative of what he did for this team from a defensive perspective. And quite frankly, we're seeing it a little bit in this series. And I do feel like 
Now, I don't know this personally, but <laughs> it feels like the campaign was for Marcus. And I guess you have to campaign for one guy over the other. And there was like no campaign for Robert Williams. Like right when he got hurt, it's like, he's done. You know, we can't consider him for defensive player of the year. Yet these other guys, like people are caping for Bam and people are caping for Draymond, I guess to a lesser extent Draymond, but people certainly were pushing Bam and he finished fourth. I just feel like Robert Williams, he was forgotten. And it's almost like his season got erased because he had the injury at the end of the year. And I just, I, I just felt bad for him personally. And obviously he doesn't care. You saw him celebrating with Marcus Smart, but I, I thought he certainly deserved more consideration for the award than he actually got. And I feel like Giannis finishing six is kind of a joke. That guy's yeah, yeah I, I'm with you on that. Giannis being six is a joke. That's he's uh, Gian, I think Giannis has to be like in his own category of just like alien stuff and just put Giannis like number one. He's the biggest alien in the NBA this year. The guys, I watched him. I, I watched years ago. I went to a game it, and when Kyrie was on the team and Kyrie, it was Greek night at the Garden for Giannis, which I thought was so funny. But, like, Giannis and Kyrie went at it. And Giannis scored the easiest 42 points I've ever seen anybody score. I was like, this is, like, so dumb. He's unstoppable if he has one foot in the paint. It's, like, not even – it's not even fair. But I agree. Like, I agree with both those points. First off, Giannis should probably get more recognition than he does. And what I liked about it, like, Rob was very team smart. But, like, as soon as Smart won the award, he was like, Rob's going to win this next. Like, he's going to be the next guy in this team that wins this award. And I agree with you with, like, with Bam and Draymond and Rob, like that's kind of where the NBA is headed. Like defensively, they value a guy. Like I think Mikael Bridges will be in this conversation too, because I think Mikael is insane. But like that type of guy that can guard perimeter guys and bigs and hold up against anybody, like that's the guy. And Draymond is the poster child for that. Bam is right behind him. And then Rob and Mikael will be there. Um, I just think it's cool that somebody else that's not a big won the award. Like the, for, for Smart to win, to be the first guy to win since GP in 96 is, I mean, it is amazing. And it is maybe a lifetime achievement award, but at the same time, like th- people don't even think about guards and wing players when it comes to DPOY. It's always like, all right, who's the best big in the league in terms of defense? Is it Gobert this year? Yeah, it's probably Gobert. Let's give it to Gobert. Like Draymond had to be otherworldly for him to like be in the conversation. And he is another worldly defense player. He is the best defense player in the league, but it's like, like Tony Allen never did Tony Allen ever finish top three for defensive player of the year. Like, and I don't think no. I've ever seen a better guard defender in my life than Tony Allen. I mean, the guy was yeah. ridiculous. So, yeah. And I think that, I think that is the difference though, between smart and Tony Allen is, I mean, you could argue that Allen may have been like a better on-ball one-on-one defender, but Smart, like we've seen with so many of these big guys, he's so good like off the ball. He's so good anticipating different things. So I think that's part of it. And I would agree, like maybe it is somewhat of a lifetime achievement award, but it did take a perfect storm for him to get here. Like it's not like, okay, he won it over Bam, and Bam played, what did Marcus play, 71 games? Bam played 71 games too. Like there's a reason that Bam didn't win the award. So it's partially that Draymond missed a bunch of time, Bam missed a bunch of time, and he was one of the two best defenders on the best team in the NBA. And the other guy that would have been considered for the award was out with injury. So I do feel like it was a perfect storm. I'm definitely happy for the guy. I'm I'm definitely happy. It feels like I love the when, it's like when Bryant went awesome. MVP. It's like when Petey but, won MVP. It was like, well, he was the healthiest guy, and Josh, we're not giving it to Josh Hamilton, so we're giving it to Dustin Pedroia. And I was like, Win, excuse me, win for short guys everywhere, right? You know, like give it up for the guys that are five, six, they can win the league. Uh, real quick, as we leave here, I want to shout out Kaufman, not with us here today on vacation. 
And I'm doing this at the end of the episode. Uh, Kaufman, when I was on vacation, him and Green, uh, uh, Greeny, you know, Dan Greenberg, Boston Sports, took time killing me in the episode that I was gone because Rob Williams got hurt while I was on vacation and Boston season looked in jeopardy. And they called me like, it's my fault. You know, I, I screwed everything up that the, the reason why the Celtics are screwed is because I left America and I went on vacation. Well, since Adam's been gone, the Celtics are 2-0. and So my response to that is, Adam, you're the bad luck guy. You're just, it's just like Celtics pride. You're the bad luck guy. I am not. So from, on behalf of everybody that's a Celtics fan, including Barrett here, please stay on a vacation. Don't come back until the season is over and the Celtics are hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. Because until that point, uh, you're going to be considered the bad luck guy. And once you come back and things go south, it is 100% your fault, my friend. Ridiculous. But Yeah, I, mean, I think you make a good point. We all got to do our part, man. I've right. been wearing my jumpsuit every game, so yeah. we all got to do our part. If him doing the podcast is a jinx, then, I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, guys are sacrificing all over the place. Guys are diving on the floor. Smart's getting his thumb put back in. Jalen's yeah. getting stuff put in his nose. I mean, these guys are sacrificing. Sometimes you get a sacrifice for the greater good, for the right. team. Right. I had my hair. I had my hair up in the first half, down in the second half. Looks like we're wearing it down the rest of the rest of the way. You know what I mean? It's just the way it is. We all got to make little things. So yeah, whether you got you got to stay on a vacation or you got to wear a jumpsuit. Either way. Yep, we want the duck boats queued. Whatever gets us there. That's right, Brian Barrett. It's been way too long. Uh, it's, it's good to have you on here. I can't believe it's the first time we've had you on the show. That's a crime. We got to have you on more. Make sure you follow Barrett on Twitter. It's Brian Barrett. Follow him on WEI. What do you do? What, what's your schedule looking like coming up here? Let's plug you. Uh, this week, I got, let's see, tomorrow I'm on Red Sox Review. Then I got Red Sox pregame Saturday, Sunday. And then I'll be on, was game five or game four Monday night? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be on, I'll be on Monday night after, uh, I'll be on around like 1030 or so until midnight. So a lot of Celtics reaction after that. I can tell you, Monday night after the Celtics play game four, I will not be talking Red Sox at all. Right after the Red Sox broadcast, all Celtics. Yeah, I mean, unless the Sox somehow hit a billion home runs and their offense looks like it's back to normal, yeah, I, I would suggest staying high, highly uh, Celtics-related <laughs> for all your topics. But, we'll, you know, we'll see how it goes. Brian Barrett, Evan Valenti, this has been Celtics Beat. Thank you guys for joining us here today. Make sure you subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe to CLNS Media on YouTube. The response over the past couple of weeks, especially with our post-game show, has been ridiculous. I think the guys last night had 30,000 views in less than 24 hours. That, that's amazing. Uh, so make sure you subscribe to that. Give those guys a shout, like. Make sure you subscribe to us as well. Shout out to betonline.ag, our sponsor for the show. CLNS50 for that 50% promo on your first deposit. For Brian Bear, I'm Evan Valenti. See you guys next time. Game three coming Saturday. Ugh, more waiting, but that's good for the seas. Rest up, Rob. Rest up, Al. Rest everybody else up. We'll see you guys next week. Adam will be back right here on CLNS Media. Celtics beat. See you guys.